This is an Alexandrian Media original podcast. Hello, friends. Today, I'd like to introduce you to Richard Fay. Richard is a composer based in Manchester, UK, with a musical style that has been described as ethnoclassical. His love for klezmer, Celtic, medieval, and Balkan music has helped him to formulate his own unique sound. His love for these musics has led him to create his own ensembles, such as the Hard Times Orchestra, the Hard Times Capellier, and Levy Metal, and he established Amid the Murk Over the Urk, which is a musical meeting of Manchester's Irish and Jewish communities, combining traditional folk tunes, new compositions, intriguing fusions, and spoken word to evoke this imagined confluence of cultures across the banks of the River Urk. In this episode, you'll be able to hear clips and full tracks from his latest album, Hamosity, Music for Hard Times. During the interview, you'll be able to hear clips from the tracks New Horizons and Hamosity Hodo. At the end of the interview, you are invited to enjoy three full tracks from Hamosity, The Seasons, The Heron Pool, and Sean Mannion. This is The Composer Chronicles, a storytelling podcast about music through the ages. I'm Stephen Trigar, and this is episode number 68, Richard Fay. Hello, Richard. How are you doing today? Hi there, Stephen. Nice to meet you. You too, as well. We've been talking for a while, and is finally glad. I'm finally glad to uh, put a face to uh, to all the messages that we've sent back and forth. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. <laughs> so, why don't we start off by you telling us about yourself? How did you become the composer you are today? Well, I'm 58 now, and if I'm honest, it's been quite a long, slow journey. Um, <laughs> really, it's only come to fruition in the last few years. I mean, when I was young, obviously I was surrounded by music in the family. I come from a large family. We all played instruments. We were surrounded by diverse musical influences from Western classical music to uh, Irish traditional music, which I'm part Irish in background. So we heard that you know, in the neighborhood and at schools. And I played organ, so I had kind of religious music. I played piano. I played trumpets. So I was involved in some jazz and swing and the wind band repertoire, I suppose. And all these different musics were swimming around me as a as a as a child. Mm. But I guess none of them really hit the spot. They weren't me. You know, I didn't I felt like I was inhabiting other people's musical spaces. 
Um, but at the same time, I had something which was a kind of a, a musical seed, I suppose, germinating inside me. I, I, I heard tunes, you know, tunes came to me. They came to me kind of, sort of nearly formed. I mean, you know, they weren't complete, but they gave me the, the overall structure, the harmony. I could hear the arrangements I was playing with in my mind. So I had this something, but I wasn't comfortable, I suppose, in the musical spaces that were available to me. And if I'm honest, I wasn't really, you know, up to the kind of performance standards that um, music college would have required. You know, I was I was drawn to music. It was my kind of career choice for many years. And through contact with, you know, music, the local music college, I saw the kind of incredibly talented, committed, you know, um, versatile performers, which I wasn't one of them. And in those days, the musical options available available to me as a kind of a, a composer in embryo, you know, were via music college. There was nothing else there. And so right. or nothing. So I had a kind of a difficult choice when I was about, I don't know, 18, when I was leaving school to decide, do I go to music college? Do I kind of overcome my insecurities, my kind of imposter syndrome about, you know, music? Or do I sort of turn my back on that and, and you know, go other paths? And that's what I did. So I kind of, um, I sold my trumpets. I kind of, you know, um, hardly touched the piano for many years. And what I did was, um, alongside doing a degree in English literature, I, I, I dabbled, I think. I began by dabbling and I became more and more obsessive about it in different mm -hmm. sorts of musics which were largely new to me. I bought mandolins and mandolas and accordions, uh, tin whistles, you know, um, playing in kind of folk ensembles, arranging pieces. And all the time this was going on, I was still kind of looking for a musical space that was mine, but it was becoming closer. You know, I felt that this was music that spoke more to me, uh, influenced by the Irish music of my origins, but also by Breton music, Scandinavian music, particularly the music of the Balkans, uh, okay. Jewish music, klezmer music. Uh, these were the kind of spaces I started to um, explore and arrange music for different ensembles, but also to begin writing my own, which wasn't trying to be a contribution to those traditions, but clearly was somehow influenced by them. Um, right. So that's kind of um, really the kind of the story of my youth. And when I was at, you know, <laughs> traveling around, you know, different places of work, I mean, I worked in Poland for a while in the late 1980s. Uh, I always had musicians around me. So I always had ensembles, impromptu, and we played a mixture of kind of traditional folky music of wherever we, we were. So in Poland, we played some Polish tunes as well as other things. And kind of shyly, kind of surreptitiously, I would introduce some of my own tunes into that mix. You know, oh, this is just something, you know, it's nothing special. It's kind of, it's a tune. Right. Little by little, this kind of developed over the years, you know, so... Um, I'm now 58, as I say, and I've been doing these kind of ensembles, impromptu ensembles for many, many years. And mm -hmm. all the time it's been giving me a kind of sense of where my, my, my music might belong. Right. Um, so I had, um, with colleagues at work, I had a, a group we used to get together to play for students, and we were called the Hard Times Orchestra. And we did, once again, a mixture of traditional music and some of my music. And the ratio over time began to change. It became more my music and less traditional music. 
and the musicians I was involved with also began to change as uh, um, I became more and more closely attached with our music department at the University of Manchester, where I work, um, okay. in a different department. And um, one thing led to another. And so in the last few years, uh, I've actually, I suppose, begun to step out and kind of to wear the kind of the clothes of, you know, as a composer to own this title and to right. put things out with a bit of pride and confidence and to overcome this kind of sense of, oh, is it good enough? You know, will people laugh? You know, um, <laughs> it, it is the music it is. It's not music which I, you know, I didn't go to formal composition classes where, you know, mm. I, I don't know the current trends. I write the music that comes out of me. These are the tunes which have always come to me. And right. what I'm doing now is I'm putting them out there with more confidence than I've than I've had over many, many years. So that's basically the story. <laughs> that's wonderful. I, I always find it so fascinating. People who are able to, to have this type of uh, career for themselves, despite not having the quote unquote academic background yeah. and going on and just, just going for your dreams and not allowing not having the degree to to determine whether or not you continue on with with your passion um but one thing that you had mentioned and i just i'm just curious so do you often have the same people performing do you have a regular uh, band or, or a group of ensemble or do you have a regular group of people you cycle through to perform your music often the simple answer to that one is yes. Um, I've got a number of different ensembles. So I've mentioned yeah. the Hard Times, Capel uh, Hard Times Orchestra, which was right. really this kind of, um, the philosophy behind that was partly in the name. These were instruments that ha had had hard times and musicians who hadn't really been performing and didn't have an outlet for their musical skills. So it was kind of an opportunity to, for my music, which was having a hard time, and for these instruments were having a hard time, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, I took a, I mean, it's not quite fair because I didn't have any training. So a few years ago, about a mm. decade ago, I went back to college and I did a, a master's in ethnomusicology. Oh, now, wonderful. This, this is not an option that was ever mentioned to me when I was growing up. You know, I didn't even know this yeah. existed. So I kind of <laughs> suddenly realized that what I'd been doing for years and years was a kind of ethnomusicology in, in practice, as it were, you know, it was, um, mm -hmm exploring these things and it kind of validated what i was doing but it also took me from my home department in the university which is education into the music department and right. one of the things i did there was to um offer a kind of a, a one-off talk on klezmer as part of a, a revival mm. and the students you know were kind of really kind of quite taken by it and they were leaving the seminar room singing these tunes uh, that we'd be exploring in the class and um I heard one of them say, wouldn't it be great if we had an ensemble like this? Yeah. Right, this is something we can do. So we, we start off with um, a voluntary ensemble and it, then it became part of the assessed curriculum, part of the performance ensemble performance curriculum. And it's now just completed its 10th year as, a, as a, an ensemble. So this is the only, uh, currently this is the only ass assessed Klezmer ensemble in the UK that I know of. Oh, wow. It's quite something, and it happened almost by chance. But what this did was put me in contact with a lot of musicians who were very, very skillful, very talented, um, but also were also looking for a space to find their their musical selves, as it were. You know, they've been brought up, many of them, on a kind of Western classical art kind of tradition. Yes, they, they, were, they, you know, they, they weren't typecast. They had other interests. You know, they, they played in jazz bands or they, you know, whatever. 
Um, right. But nonetheless, that's and the degree in many ways kind of appeal to that type of musical background. And, and for most of them, yeah. they're not going to get careers as concert violinists or whatever. Right. Um, and Klezmer took them into a different kind of space. And it was mm. a space that spoke to me, and I suppose my experience spoke to them. So one thing led to another. So they became a kind of um, an injection of enthusiasm and competence into my musical world. Um, right. So we had a number of ensembles that came in this kind of flourishing. So we've got a kind of a massive um, kind of Balkan outfit called Levy Metal. My neighborhood is called Levin June and okay. Levy, so we call it Levy Metal. So it's kind of, you know, okay. And we've never had the same people twice. I mean, it's kind of a rolling cast of highly talented young musicians, mostly. Mm -hmm. Some musicians from the neighborhood as well. Uh, we've got a, a klezmer ensemble called Hard Times Capellier, um, playing with kind of mu musicians from the Irish scene here as well. So it's kind of quite a large musical pool that I work with. Um, so, for example, on the recent album we recorded, there's 25 musicians involved. Most of whom I either know from the Irish scene, from the kind of the university scene, or from the neighborhood. Oh, wonderful! That's yeah. great. And pulling in people from the neighborhood to uh, to get in involved and in, and getting to know your neighbors a little bit more intimately than just saying hello every once in a while. <laughs> uh, yeah, it really is, and it's surprising. You know, when you're in the neighborhood, when you start, you know, uh, digging around, it's amazing just how much kind of unused musical talent there is there. And that seems yeah. to me is kind of one of the great sadnesses of the way that music is kind of in silos. You know, you kind of you've had all this training in your youth, and there's nowhere for it to go if you don't become a professional musician. Yeah, I know that because I am a music historian that I have focused a lot on the uh, the Western classical music, uh, and I remember going through uh, trying to audition for schools and whatnot. Uh, I was always questioned. Are you sure you want to go into like just musicology, or do you want to add on ethnomusicology okay. onto your your uh, your degree? And I often was like, ah, oh, I just want to focus on one thing, get through school and get out. Um, but I, I just think ethnomusicology is fascinating. Can you tell me and my audience as well what is involved in ethnomusicology? What is ethnomusicology? Please. One of those kind of areas which has been um, problematized like everything else. So there's big debate yeah. about kind of decolonizing the curriculum and kind of this sort of, um, the, the need to sort of challenge the kind of some of the colonial assumptions, like with all kind of um, study of culture. You know, you think back to anthropology yeah. and those things. They've all they've all been through this kind of process of soul searching and ethnomusicology is no different. But really right. for me, it's kind of a combination of some of the practices of ethnomusicology. Uh, of anthropology, so looking at cultures through participation, through observation, um, and being able to to write about them, to write an ethnography, to you know, to understand them in that sense, and to do so from a position of of um, cultural relativity that these are absolutely you know, of equivalent value and status to any other kind of you know, musical cultures. So it's the study of musical cultures in that sense of of um, equivalence so not to start off from where we are and look at it as some kind of exotic other but you know to be looking right. at um so in many ways for example um in my home city which is is manchester in the uk there's a large irish community there's a large you know all sorts of different communities you know there's um right. large jewish community there's a large you know italian community so it's kind of a melting pot in that sense and there's a whole world of irish music there 
and you know, even though it's on my doorstep and it's a world that I've been participating for many years, I could do an ethnomusicological study of that world. So I'll be looking at that right. um, musical culture in its functions and its practices and its personalities and its traditions and its, you know, its um, you know um, the ways in which it's passed on, its transmission, etc. So that to me is what it's about. Wonderful. Yeah, I I always have felt that it that it was musicology or ethnomusicology and ethnomusicology was everything else that wasn't your standard Beethoven, Brahms and uh, but the more I had kind of dabbled in it a little bit it's like no I mean there are little pockets here and there that like you said Irish music and you would think Ireland as part of the western tradition but sometimes that kind of music doesn't always get seen as our quote-unquote western tradition yeah. uh so I, I i think it is very important to to be able to understand that there isn't always just one side to music that we all share music yeah. in some way and, and we're always uh we're always trying to share it with everybody else uh but I, I want to go into your career as a composer. And one sure. thing I want to start off with is, what is your process like? How do you get from a piece from beginning to end? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think I've said already that in many ways, I don't set out to compose music. I mean, music comes to me. It sounds a bit kind of cliche to say that, but it's true. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. You know, if I had to write, you know, if, if I was commissioned to write a piece, I probably couldn't do it to save my life. You know, it's not... Mm. You know, someone said, you know, there's, a, there's an opportunity to write some music for this, I know, for this event or for this kind of perform. I, I couldn't do it, probably. I mean, yeah. I've never had the invitation to do it, but I probably couldn't do it because that's not how it happens. Sure. Um, I, and for me, what happens is that the music kind of often comes. I'm, I'm, I'm walking down the street and I hear in my head something. And as I say, it's kind of largely formed i've got a sense of the of the melody i've got a sense of the kind of the counterpoint i've got a sense of the harmony i've got a sense of how i might arrange it sure i've got to then craft it afterwards but the, the music right. comes to me in that kind of process and i sometimes wonder well you know where, where does this come from it you know does it come from you know from, from the heavens or from from somewhere or is it and clearly it's shaped by what i'm listening to and i'm doing but one of the things i realize is a kind of um contribute a contribution to that is that sometimes I'll come home from work and I'll sit down at the piano and I'll just start playing and I'm not playing any particular piece I'm just I'm, I'm just doodling around you know exploring bits of harmony or uh, I did and I might play for five minutes or I might play for 25 minutes I have no idea okay it's right. just something I do and if I'm honest it's kind of um it's probably not much fun to be my neighbor or to be part of my household. And my wife is long suffering because what she can hear is the doodles on the piano. She can't hear what's going on in my head. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm, so I, as I'm playing one line, I can hear, you know, um, really the whole arrangement of, of, you know, ideas. I can hear things. And, um, right. and, and it's quite interesting because then when she, I'll play, be playing a tune. She said, well, what's that? So I said, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know yet. It's come. And then yeah. I might, go and uh, sit down and actually consciously craft that. And I will normally craft things for particular ensembles, right down to the individuals who might be uh, of a certain level or have certain preferences. So I'm very much driven by not a commission, but by a particular kind of set of musicians. I'm not writing for infinite possibilities. You know, um, If I don't have uh, a bassoonist in my 
pool of musicians I won't write for bassoon. And at the moment, I, ha- I happen to have a very good bassoonist, so that's that's great. Um, right. So I, I arrange things. So I don't see the music as fixed. It's not like there is something. This is the you know, immutable kind of composition. This is how it's got to be, and I'm very, very precise and picky about it. I feel like I've got the raw ingredients, and I can put those into the hands of the musicians, almost like um, almost like a gift. And they can then right. do what they want, want, not what they want with it, but they, I want them to take ownership of it in, in a really fundamental way. Um, and um, so I will then, I'll craft it for different ensembles. Um, and when I then play some of this back for my wife, she'll say, I can't, yeah, I had no idea. When I heard that the first time on the piano, I had no idea that's what it would be because it was like, it's kind of a transformation. Um, right. And I think those kind of sessions where I sit on the piano, or it might be on other instruments. You know, I pick up instruments on my travels. So I've got a beautiful uh, lauto. I don't even know a lauto. It's um, a clean, fretted um, lute. And uh, okay. I, I spent a lot of time in, in Greece and in the Balkans. And a very good friend, fam, I'm, I'm a family over there I'm very uh, attached to, good, a large mm. family. And one of their members of the family is an instrument maker. So he made this beautiful okay. lauto for me. And it's a great instrument to be sitting on a winter's evening by the fire and just, you know, just uh, picking out things. So I'll often play around on instruments and different sorts of instruments with different sort of affordances. So I play button accordion on the, the kind of Irish scene or, um, and it, it, you know, it's got different, it's got different possibilities, it's got different limitations. So I would kind of often just doodle on different instruments. And I think that must, where some of the kind of the DNA of the of the melodies come from, um, right? But I listen, you know, a lot to different sorts of musics, and uh, I think that must be something else. But there's something else there, which is kind of, um, which is the given part, and and it's right. funny. It's sometimes, and people have said this to me as well. I, that it's as if the tunes have always been there. It's almost like it's kind of, it's not like a fresh thing, which is trying to tick all the current boxes of, you know, fashions, whatever. It's like, you know, it's almost like you can't imagine the tune being any other way because you know, it, that's how it is. It's almost like right. that's, how it is, that's how it has always been. It's just that now I've put it into, into, into people's hands and into their ears. Yeah. <laughs> when you were telling the story about uh, sitting down at the piano and your wife just passing by and saying, oh, what's that? It actually reminded me of uh, the story that is often told about Elgar and starting the uh, Enigma Variations of him just sitting down at the piano and his wife just coming up and saying, hey, wh- what, what's that? And he's like, I don't know. It's just, just a tune that I've thought up. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, do you have any particular composers that you admire or emulate in your own music? I think um, the simple answer is yes. Um, I suppose over recent years, I've been drawn more and more to that kind of ethno kind of space. So, and and I suppose with the ethnomusicology background, valuing composers in different traditions. So, for example, Mm. uh, in Manchester, we're very fortunate to have a a wonderful Irish piper flute player called Michael McGoldrick. He writes some beautiful compositions, very much in that style. but he's also interesting. He's got kind of a, uh, a taste for something a little bit more Eastern as well. So he, he's got a beautiful tune called Waterman's, which is in 7-8. So it's not an Irish time signature. Um, but, it, yeah. but it's got a kind of an Irish feel to it, but it's got something else. Um, and I've been very fortunate to do quite a bit of music with Mike over the years. And he's like a you know, really um, a wonderful composer. 
I spend a lot, as I said, a lot of time in Greece. So there's uh, composers like, I know, some of the, the kind of famous ones, Hadzidakis and, um, but then people who I've, I've had the great fortune to meet, like Stavros Lantzias, wonderful pianist, lovely compositions, um, um, sort of film writers, uh, Antia Rembutsika is, a, is another really nice writer from my point of view. And then obviously moving into the Balkans, you've got your kind of your big names like your Bregovic and people like that. But as a, as a, as a child growing up, we were brought up, as I say, main with all sort of dive, a reasonally diverse set of influence in totality, but within the family, it was kind of Western classical music. And my right. parents were, um, they introduced us to Shostakovich and Shostakovich remains a big interest. I mean, we've got a, a kind of show we're exploring the, the links between kind of Jewish idiom, Klezmer idiom and classical music and his uh, piano trio number two, the fourth movement, that kind of theme there, which also came out of his string quartets. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, Prokofiev with his kind of overture and Hebrew themes is another one that we're kind of working. But so, um, and as a, as a young composer, I was really, really very, very um, enamored by Carl uh, Nielsen. Uh, oh, wonderful. And uh, that kind of some more Nordic Sibelius type sort of uh, sound world. Um, and then of course the English kind of, you know, you, um, my parents were, lifelong kind of ticket holders for the Halle, the Halle Orchestra in Manchester and the kind of their Thursday night concert series, right from the kind of um, the dark days of the Second World War, you know, and they were kind of, they would tell tales of going along to see, I know, John Barbaroli conducting with the Elgar cello concerto when it was like in its kind of infancy and Jacqueline Dupre playing it and the way she performed on stage. So, you know, with Elgar and kind of um, Ben Britton and um, those kind of composers as well would be, Influential, and I'm not sure you actually hear it in my, in my music, but it's got that kind of uh, there's something there, right. yeah. And I suppose the yeah, it's quite an eclectic collection. But I don't know if you've ever, ever heard of a guy called Simeon Chenetsky. Um, I have heard of him, yeah. I, I've just come across one of his marches recently, which I'm finding really intriguing. He wrote it in the 30s, um, Biro Bijan March, which is all about this kind of Yiddish speaking um, region in, in the old Soviet Union. Um, I think it's named after two rivers and he was one of the people who sort of kind of pioneered the kind of um i don't know the military sound of the kind of the soviet army it was kind of a favorite and some of his later compositions i know uh, the the march of the tankists from 1944 or even his early stuff you know lenin's call from there was 1933 or something like that but this okay. march biro bijan for me, it's great because it's got a whole kind of sort of Soviet sort of military band flavor to it, but it's got some really kind of characteristic flavor of of kind of the Jewish sound world as well, which I find very intriguing. And and it's just a three and a half minute march, but it's kind of a it's um yeah, it, I'm very curious about it. That that's so I, I zoom in on things like that. Thank you.
what would a world without music be like? I certainly don't want to know. This podcast would not exist. Luckily, we don't have to find out what that world is like. I do a lot of listening in a day between all of my favorite music and podcasts, and it's not just for entertainment. I'm constantly doing research for this podcast and switching back and forth between apps to listen to a podcast episode and then a piece of music can get tiresome if I'm trying to quickly switch back and forth. From an episode of Hey Riddle Riddle to Stravinsky's The Firebird Ballet Suite and then to Lady Gaga's latest album, I can listen to them all on Amazon Music whenever and wherever I want. I start listening when I get into my car, and then when I get home, I switch over to my Alexa while I cook dinner for me and my fiance. Listeners of this podcast can join me in listening to all of the best music and greatest podcasts on Amazon Music Unlimited right now when you sign up today at getamazonmusic.com slash the composer chronicles and get your first 30 days for free you can get unlimited access to any song and do all of that listening without any ads so again go to get amazonmusic.com slash the composer chronicles and start listening on amazon music unlimited today Listen to this. Composed by Brooks Leiby, Body of Corpse and Weeds was written for Austin Wintry's Aliens Fire Team Elite Contest. To listen to this full track by Brooks, visit his SoundCloud at Brooks Leiby. That's B-R-O-O-K-S-L-E-I-B-E-E. Or click on the link in the show notes. To learn more about Brooks, give a listen to episode number 48. Now, let's get back to the interview with Richard Fay.
I want to ask you about your your music more specifically. I know recently um, you uh, released a, a new album, Hamosity, uh, and that ties into the uh, the Hard Times Orchestra and and the uh, the, the ensembles that you have started. Uh, can you tell us about that project? I can. I mean. I'll take one step back in 2020, just before the pandemic really changed our lives forever, I was about to uh, release the previous album, which is called Helix, um, which has also got a hard times flavor to it. Uh, and that was a big step for me to actually release an album of music that goes, really covers a wide a period of time. I think the oldest piece on that album is from 1985. Uh, it goes all the way through to I know, 2019, something like that. So we were meant to release that album on the uh, on the 21st of March 2020, which was exactly the day when the UK shut down with the pandemic and the lockdown happened. So it got postponed. And one thing I decided to, I've been working with a really very talented musician uh, called Sam G. He's not just a musician. He's one of these people who is um, talented across a wide range of skills. So he's very good with sound and sound engineering and mixing. He's got great interpersonal skills. He's, he's good with kind of video and graphics. Um, and what we did with Hamosity was that we worked during lockdown to, in a sense, to create the next album, uh, but also to give a purpose to, um, or, or, or a project for lots of musicians to work on who would not otherwise have, have worked. You know, their work dried up overnight, that kind of, um, uh, yeah, really quite a bleak time. I guess it was the same for many musicians in many parts of the world, but it was certainly the case here. So instead of recording it, kind of, you know, getting an orchestra together and recording kind of live, what we did, it we did it track by track and got the musicians to, you know, in many cases record with their own devices in their own, you know, kind of uh, studios or, you know, bedrooms or wherever and to send it in. And what this meant was that we could take our time. So we, instead of, working well, you know, what's a realistic number of musicians I can get together on a particular day to how many pieces can we rehearse? How much is that gonna cost? Because I, I, I'm funding it all myself. Um, right. we, we could take our time over it. So we could actually have the instruments that we wanted. We could play with the, the possibilities. So the music on this album, uh, once again, covers quite a, a timeline. Um, certainly music from the 1990s all the way up to uh, pieces written during the pandemic so it's got a wide range and it can the title hamosity comes from my time in in the balkans particularly in greece uh, there's a word in greek which you hear a lot which is hamos which okay. I suppose comes into english as chaos but it's not okay. quite chaos i mean the way i understand it is it's to do with almost the not just the kind of chaotic destructive aspects of chaos but also the kind of generative you know the kind of things happen because there are collisions between different sorts of things. And, you know, uh, it's a bit like you know, the people you meet because you missed the train, you should have caught. It's that kind of idea. Um, right. um, when I was doing some of my own um, academic work in Greece, we kind of coined the term hamosity, this kind of chaos, chaosness to, uh, to capture this. And this is where the, the title of the album comes from. And it, it, it covers a range of, of my styles. It's got the end, which, I don't know whoever who called it this first of all, but somebody described my music as ethno-classical, and I, as a name, it kind of works. So I've got things which are more the, the more kind of classical, and so we've got things which are you know, based very much on a string quintet with you know some woodwind attached, uh, kind of um, 
very much that sound world and you've got things very much at another end you know with a kind of a, a big brass and uh, kind of um, horn section and um you've got things which are in kind of more i suppose familiar modalities and sort of time signature things which are less so and and the album covers all of that so you know it's got 13 pieces on it it's got um uh, it ends almost with a kind of a coda, which is a very simple piece uh, for piano and viola. But the preceding that, it's got a piece which is, which is quite long by my standard, seven and a half minutes, which is actually is the piece called Hamosa de Choro, the kind of the, the dance of, of of chaos, if you want to call it that. <laughs> um, which you know is a monster. It's kind of you know, it's mm. got everything in it. Um, uh, so it's it's a. Yeah, so you've got kind of quite delicate pieces and you've got really kind of quite large um, kind of chaotic pieces, want of a better word. It's also got some quite distinctive pieces. So one of the, quite early on in the in the pandemic, uh, my wife's cousin died from COVID. Um, so there's a piece in honor of him called Sean Mannion, um, which is kind of a quartet um, in sort of feel, but it's, it's piano, percussion, soprano sax and double bass. It's a bit of an eclectic kind of um, ensemble. And um, yeah, that, that that was created kind of in his honor, as it were. Um, we've got um, another piece um, on there. I'm just trying to think, just to give you some idea, we've got a piece called um, The Seasons. And this was one which I, I used to travel to and from Manchester, the Balkans, in a way that would be very hard to justify in this age of kind of, yeah, climate awareness the you know, awareness of climate change etc um and one you know it's like you leave manchester and it's kind of you know it's it's kind of february it's cold it's miserable and you arrive in greece and it's it feels like summer it's not really summer and then you kind of you come back and you you're moving around so often that you you, you acquire an extra season and then you miss a season you know you're kind of so <laughs> it's, it's, it's my my version of the seasons it's got um Missing Seasons, the first piece, which is the more kind of classical end, kind of driven by the strings, and it's got additional seasons, which where it gets more kind of balkanized and it gets kind of okay. coming in. And, and the time signatures become a little bit less familiar to people's ears. So it's kind of, it was a, it was a project that took us a full year to do. Um, and we actually released this album. Um, I say we, because I, I kind of, I, I see it as a kind of, um, the my compositions, but the, the musical, craft comes from the musicians and, and from Sam G and the kind of the uh, the mixing desk as it were so I, I see it very much as a collaborative endeavor and you know I, I can say to them like in um, Hamosa de Coro it's got this long long build-up where it goes from almost like a funereal start and then the kind of this manic dance comes in and it's just mm -hmm. building and building and I said to the, um, the 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 clarinetist and the trombonist do you think you could just you know improvise something around that kind of a bit sort of dialogic between you that's kind of hinting at the kind of chaos to come and they've mm -hmm. got they've got 48 bars in which to do this and they you know and and yeah the, i think the results are really very very powerful
and it's to give the musicians that space to do that um, is one of the things which I've been exploring a bit more on this album. It's got it's got more solos, for example. So it's got it's got four or five pieces where it's, you know, so it's got that kind of influence coming in from other traditions, the more um, soloistic. So it's not all scripted. Um, yeah, so that's Hamosity. So it's kind of, um, and we're going to have the launch for that on the 18th of September. Fingers crossed that we don't get shut down again. And uh, we've assembled an orchestra for that of 25 musicians. And we're going to do that in a local hall here in Manchester, which actually has just been kind of renovated because of the uh, during the, the lockdown. So it's in the ballroom at the Stratford Public Hall. Beautiful old building. Um, so 25 musicians. Yeah, it should be a really nice evening, you know. Wonderful. Well, I wish I could be there. <laughs> You're very uh, welcome. In fact, we might, we might stream it and then you can come to it virtually. Oh, wonderful. Great. I sh I will be on vacation. So I'll have to, uh, when I'm at home uh, or at the, the uh, hotel that night, I'll, I'll have to, uh, to uh, turn on my laptop and, and stream in. Uh, but by the time uh, this episode drops, uh, that uh, the, the album will have dropped already. So uh, I, really encourage everybody to uh to go and take a listen to that uh to that album um you are going to be listening to a few pieces from that album the seasons uh and the the harem pool and sean minion i mean what i was thinking of was to try and get something which gave the variety on the album but within right. the time parameters so um the seasons i quite like as a as a piece to offer to, to listeners because it captures those two ends of the spectrum the more um, uh, classical, if you like, and the more ethno. Uh, so you've got the right. missing seasons, which is very much, as I say, driven by the strings, and then you've got the the additional seasons where it changes and it goes into thirteen eight and to sixteen eight, and it's kind of a different. So it's a different beast altogether. Um, but that's six six minutes or something like that. So it's quite um, yeah. Um, Sean Mannion, I've mentioned, which is the one which was um, inspired by and and is is celebrated celebration of the life of Sean Mannion, um, but also it's kind of, um, you know, so many people's lives have been affected to join, you know, across the world by, by this this pandemic. So it's a kind of, um, it's in his name, but he's kind of a, a an icon, if you like, for, for all those people who've suffered in this kind of way. Um, right. And he was quite a character. And so it's got a kind of a lolloping piano sort of line to it, which is a bit like him. He kind of shuffled along a little bit. But he had some kind of um, a very, very good sense of humour, and he was quite you know, something very sparky and lively. It's got this kind of soaring soprano sax on it, uh, mm. and almost like a dialogue between the um, the double bass and a bit of percussion coming in. So it's kind of it's not quite musical painting, but it's kind of there's a sense in which he's being captured through that piece. Right, and then. Um, almost in contrast to these big pieces, uh, I, I really like very delicate things. And so the Heron Pool, I don't know if you can imagine the scene, there's, um, I don't know how well you know the UK, Stephen, but um, uh, the, one of the beauties of Manchester is that we're not far from many parts which are, are really strikingly beautiful. So we can go to North Wales. Okay. Uh, right at the tip of North Wales, there's a small village called Aberdarren. And when you walk along the beach at Aberdarren, if the tide's slow, you can walk around into an extra bay. Yeah, it's like okay. a little cove. Uh, and so most of the time you can't. And one morning we were lucky, we were walking on the beach and uh, we walked on the cove, and there was like a, one of those little pools in the sand which had been left by the retreating uh, tide. Mm. And in there was this solitary uh, heron, kind of, you know, in all its, I don't know, 
um, what you think about herons, but for me, they're kind of, there's something almost um, really old about them. They're kind of ugly kind of beauty. I mean, they're all sort of awkward shapes and sort of, you know, kind of, you know, uh, dimensions on them. But there was something about this heron in this place. So, and as I was on, you know, on the way back on the beach, I heard the tune. And it's, mm-hmm. it's another one in seven, eight. So it's kind of, um, it's got that, clearly it's influenced by something which is uh, not from my immediate home world. And it's very lightly scored. So it's quite a delicate piece. It's a short piece. Um, so it's in kind of marked contrast to the big um, seasons and particularly the additional seasons. Yeah. And that one specifically has a video component to it that you have on your YouTube channel as well, yeah. correct? I've been exploring this year, partly because of lockdown where there's more time, um, really how to meld different elements together. Um, mm. I mean, one of those things, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you've looked at your kind of uh, analytics to see how long people listen to things. And it's right. really depressing. You know, you've got an audience of I know, X and, and how many of them are still listening, you know, even 15 seconds later. I don't know if this is a state right. of the music or about people's kind of attention spans, but it's kind of, but what I discovered is that um, if you want people to listen to the music or, or a wider range of people to listen to the music, you have to, it helps to have something else with it. Um, right. So it's not that I write um, kind of a package. I, you know, I, I already imagine the music and the video, and I've got the music, but what I've done mm-hmm. is I've experimented with a mixture of really kind of the sound, um, right. words, and kind of then so video images. Um, right. And so we're trying to do different things. So there's about six or seven videos now that we've created, once again with Sam G. And uh, the Heron Paul, what we've got is, I gave the music and the ideas to a trumpeter I know, um, Mm. one of our former students, but she's subsequent to her music degree, she's done an art master's. So she was looking for projects. So I said, well, you know, here's the the story of this heron pool um, and and you can hear the music. Um, Mm. What does it make you uh, think or feel or see? So she actually created six paintings related to this heron pool. Um, oh, wonderful! And the and the video then is of it's imagining you are the pair of eyes walking through an art gallery. So you're you're kind of moving along and you're looking at the next painting on the wall and it's kind of captioned underneath and then to the next one. So it's kind of um, it's trying to work in that kind of way. Um, another piece from the first um, album, remember uh, Helix, is a piece called In Remembrance of Hard Times. It's very much inspired by my times in Poland and sort of you know, wandering around in the kind of the, the traces from the Holocaust, et cetera, you know, the, that kind of experiences. And uh, it's based upon a series of photographs, very much of the remnants of the Jewish world in that kind of particularly Eastern parts of Poland. Um, so sort of, you know, broken gravestones and things like this. They were taken by a very good Polish friend of mine, these photographs. And what we've done is, once again, we've done that. The camera is almost tracing its way, as as the eye would, through somebody's photograph album of this. So that's um, so we've got those two videos. And then we've got, um, yeah, there's, there's, uh, we've, got, we've got a couple of animations coming along, which are in the process. And I've never worked with animators before. So this is kind of quite <laughs> a thing. Uh, one of which is the same person, um, Claire Loveday, who did the the heron pool, and she's using this as an opportunity to uh, explore her animation side. So she's doing animation for Hamosity Horror. And by the time of the album launch in um, 
the concert on the, the 18th of September. We should be able to, as part of that concert, show the video as well, which will be great. Um, but you can imagine, it's seven, seven and a half minutes, so that's a lot of animation. But uh, Yeah. <laughs> My fiance uh, does animation uh, on occasion, so I, I have... Uh, coming home and listening to him talk about uh, all the things that he's done. It's like all, all the amount of things that has to get done in just 30 seconds is, is a lot. So I can imagine what seven minutes is going to entail as well. But it, it's kind of, a, you know, uh, I suppose what's happening is that uh, two of my kind of um, habits, if you like, professional habits, because I, 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 you know, I work with language, so I'm, I'm a teacher educator, right. so language education. So I'm used to doing things with language, and I'm used to working overseas and uh, involved in different projects and different kind of language communities. So language is something I'm interested in, and music is something else I'm interested in. But I never really thought about bringing words and music together. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've done that on some of the videos. So there's a project which we've been working on um, really for the last five years, which uh, is a very, for me, it's a very exciting project because it's kind of, um, it's a mixture of composition and sort of bouncing off traditional material. So it's called Amid the Murk Over the Urk. In the centre of Manchester, we've got three little rivers. I mean, they're not really worth calling rivers, one of which is called the River Urk. And back in the day, on one side of the Urk, there was um, an infamous um, slum area uh, called Angel Meadow. You know, a beautiful name, but a really, really terribly rough kind of neighborhood. And this is where the Irish mainly were. Yeah. And then you had the River Irk, which was really like this kind of fetid, almost like an open sewer coming down between. <laughs> and on the other side, you had Red Bank, which was the, the Jewish um, immigrant quarter. So you can imagine, so 1880, 1890, there would have been these two very ethnically other communities. They were both, you know, felt by the indigenous population if we can talk about that in, in any meaningful way as being kind of they had the wrong language and the wrong religion and you know they kind of came with their you know kind of uh, basic ways from the east or from the west wherever they came from they were kind of people who were seen to be a little bit undesirable and yet they were only separated by this one small bit of water and we play around with the idea what would happen if musicians from both sides of the earth had actually got together and, and you know um explored music together and there's no evidence that this ever happened but we, we use it as a kind of a as an imaginary as a kind of a conceit to enable us to explore this so we've got a, a piece which opens this way it's actually got words i've written some of it's kind of quotation mm -hmm. from sort of source material but which is kind of capturing that melding of the musical traditions you know the kind of, it's got a beautiful slow slow air on the irish pipes uh, to start the whole thing off um and it's gone like it's got also got a, a kind of a, a, a trad Irish ensemble and a, and a kind of trad klezmer ensemble, and they kind of slowly meld uh, as the, and the and, and the kind of musically telling the story of the words and, and and the words are about what if what if the musicians from here and the musicians from there had heard each other's music? What might have happened? It's that kind okay. of and there's a video for this, um, so we're looking at how um, for me how you can use the words and the images and the music to create really quite a powerful package, uh, which is something I've never done before. So it's really kind of, it's a, it's a new 
exciting venture particularly because I, I i think visually i'm very poor it's not something you know i you know if, if someone said to me oh what was stephen wearing tonight i couldn't you know five minutes later i couldn't tell them you know but, <laughs> and then now I can, I can do, but unless i made a point of it i wouldn't remember you know say oh so can you right. describe stephen? you know i would struggle so i'm not a visual person so it's kind of um i suppose it's enjoying putting myself out of my comfort zone but kind of okay. reassured by the musical and, and the linguistic which are more comfortable for me that's wonderful i know that uh you had mentioned to me that that was one of your favorite projects to work on uh is there any other projects that you really really enjoy working on uh, like that project well that one's that one's kind of great because as i say it involves so many things it involves my foot in the Irish world and with musicians like, as I mentioned, like Mike McGoldrick, you know, um, Angela Usher and uh, Fiona um, Brown, people like that who are really, really good musicians and then musicians on the, on the klezmer side as well. Um, and it's kind of, it, it, it appeals to me because you're, you're working new musical ideas, but in relation to existing things. And we've done right. a similar kind of thing with a, a show we did last year, which was called Vessels of Song. So this comes from the from the translation of, of klezmer from from the original hebrew um where it means yeah klezmer is a vessel of song it refers to the musician so a klezmer is a musician who plays this kind of music it's only okay. subsequently come to refer to the genre of music so we use this show to explore the journeys that klezmer has made uh, across time and space and you know, what it would have sounded like in the old world in post poland and uh, galicia you know and all these places uh, what did it sound like when it first arrived in New York, you know, in the sort of 1900s? What did it sound like through the kind of the revival of the 70s? And what does it sound like now? But what happened when it moved into other kind of zones, you know, like um, mm. when, when sort of it touched base with kind of classical music or it went into kind of uh, into sort of, the, sort of the jazz era? I'm thinking things like, you know, and the angels sing with its kind of klezmer mm. roots as a, as a tune and that kind of... Um, uh, what was his name? What was the trumpet? Ziggy Elman on trumpet in that kind of break... Um, with a wonderful kind of, you know, sort of a performance of uh, and the angels sing. It's, you know, it's kind of, it's a real kind of marrying of those sort of two traditions, the kind of the old klezmer trumpets style and, and, and kind of, you know, the jazz of that time. It's like, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, Benny Goodman kind of. Um, so in this show, we, we explore all of these different things. And that's what it comes back to the, the classical as well with the Shostakovich exploring, you know, um, where, what would happen if we almost like re-klezmerized uh, that Shostakovich um, piano trio? Right. For, or, 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 for example, actually finding the original music that inspired Prokofiev and his overture and Hebrew themes and actually to almost like showcase what it would have sounded like as a traditional tune. And oh, wow. And I like that a lot. It's something which goes down well with, with audiences. It's kind of, you know, it kind of... Um, it kind of appeals to a wide sort of you know, set of listeners. Um, so that's a project which I've really, really enjoyed um, because it you, know, you, you, you are functioning as an arranger, which I think is an often underrated kind of uh, part of composition. Um, yeah. But you're also composing stuff to kind of to fill the gaps, as it were, you know, to, 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 to sort of tell the story that you want to tell. Um, right. So, so that, yeah, that's, that's a project. And once again, there's some... Uh, video material for that on the website as well but it's that was a really enjoyable project which i hope will carry on so you know um we've got the albums um we've got the amid the murk over the Irk, which i'm hoping will in this post pandemic or in a post lockdown we will get that back on the road 
uh, and we've got this festival to song and they're all three um exciting projects for me wonderful and i will have the links to all of those in uh, the, all the show notes of the episode so people can click on those and, and go right to them uh but thank you so much for your time today and i really appreciate you telling your story and and sharing all of your interesting uh uh your interesting musics with us. And uh, can you tell us uh, where we can find you and your music? You can. So I've got a, a website, um, www.richardthay.co.uk. Um, Thay is F-A-Y. People always seem to want to put an extra E on the end, but it's not, it's just F-A-Y. Um, and that's where it all gets put. So that will give you links to the YouTube channel. It will give you links to the kind of... Um, Bandcamp where you can buy the albums from either digitally or if you're old school like me, you can still buy hard copy. You know, people um, <laughs> seem to like that sometimes. So um, yeah, and that's where the the you know news of the next venture will come because um, we're already. I suppose I'm making up for lost time. So you know, um, it took me thirty years, thirty five years to get one album out, but I'm sort of already kind of hungry to start the next one. So um, that's already beginning to sort of take shape in our minds and uh, hopefully we'll do that next year wonderful well i look forward to it and uh i'll be sure to share it when i see things come out thank you very much for your time Stephen. lovely to meet you and uh, all the very best with your uh, your ongoing series of um you know podcasts as well thank you so much and now please enjoy the seasons the heron pool and sean mannion from richard Fay's latest album hamosity music for hard times
This episode of The Composer Chronicles was edited by me, Stephen Trigar, with theme music written by Daryl Banner. You can find Richard on social media and listen to more of his music via the links found in the show notes. Music used in this episode was graciously supplied by Richard Fay, and if you want to support Richard's music, you can purchase both Hamosity and his earlier album, Helix, on Bandcamp. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or wherever you can leave a rating and a review. Join our community of music lovers on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Com Podcast. There you can engage with our incredible community of music professionals and enthusiasts while staying up to date on news pertaining to our past guests. For more information about this podcast and to learn more about the composers, music professionals, and other featured guests on the show, visit alexandriamedia.org slash thecomposerchronicles. Next week, we're taking a dive into the world of songwriting as I introduce you to singer and songwriter Tosca Bear. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Alexandrian Media, art and culture for the modern era. Thank you.